Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 131. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm so appreciative that you're here. I hope you're finding some value in this show. Have you heard of my new podcast, the Courageous Leadership Podcast? It's different than this one. It's not an interview podcast. It's just me talking about my leadership philosophies for about 15 or 20 minutes or so. Each episode promises to get into my mindset a little bit more about what I believe in leadership and how it can help you become the courageous, authentic leader that I think we are all meant to become. So go check it out, uh, Courageous Leadership Podcast, and go to iTunes. And just like this one, if you haven't done so, please take the time to enter a rating and review. It does so much for my visibility and to keep that uh, algorithm uh, alive in iTunes so we're more front and center. So again, thanks for all your support. I love continuing to get the emails and your thoughts and ideas on leadership. So please feel free to reach out and connect with me, and I promise I'll get right back to you. So anyway, thanks for all your support, and here's the interview. Well, I'm so excited to have on my show today Steve Farber. He's the president of Extreme Leadership Incorporated and the founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute, organizations devoted to the cultivation and development of extreme leaders in the business community, nonprofits, and education. His third book, Greater Than Yourself, The Ultimate Lesson in Leadership, was a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. His second book, The Radical Edge, Stoke Your Business, Amp Your Life, and Change the World, was tailed as a playbook for harnessing the power of the human spirit. And his first book, The Radical Leap, A Personal Lesson in Extreme Leadership, is already considered a classic in the leadership field. It received Fast Company Magazine's Reader Choice Award and was recently named one of the top 100 best business books of all time. His newest edition, The Radical Leap Re-Energized, Doing What You Love in the Service of People Who Love What You Do, is in bookstores now. He's a subject matter expert in business leadership and a frequent guest on news talk shows around the country. Steve, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thanks, Richard. Glad to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. And um, guys, so I, I, I touched some of the high points in your bio, but I love t- asking my guests, how did it all start for them? When, when did you get passionate and why did you get passionate about leadership? Well, you know, I, um, I've been at this work now, uh, and by this work I mean leadership development in some form or another, for, uh, for 25 years already, which is kind of hard to believe. But, uh, but I started out actually in the financial services industry as an entrepreneur and had my own small brokerage firm in the commodities business. And it was uh, ironically, um, uh, <laughs> it was ironic because it was my own business and I hated it. <laughs> I think that's irony. I'm not yeah, right. sure. Uh, I just, that, that industry was just not made for me, you know? Um, right. I got tired of seeing people lose their money, and I had a moral dilemma with my own business, which is a very odd place to be. So I made a decision to get out. This was in the late 80s, and I really had no idea what I was going to get into, but I did know that I had I had a business background. I had a love for people. I enjoyed being up in you know, the so-called front of the room. I did a lot of training and you know all of that in my career so far, and I put it all together and I started doing corporate work in you know, the training and development arena. And 
over the years, it evolved into doing uh, cultural transformation kind of initiatives and helping organizations develop a culture of service, for example. And, and the more I got into the fabric of how organizations work or should work, the clearer it became that it really all comes down to the quality of the leadership. Mm. And I ended up, uh, before I went off on my own again, and this, you know, I worked for a couple different consulting companies, but I landed for a time at the Tom Peters company. And I was vice president of Tom's company for six and a half years and went very much in depth. I know that you've had a conversation recently with Jim Kuzis. Yes. Well, Jim, you know, the co-author of the Leadership Challenge with Barry Posner, was actually the president of the Tom Peters company back in the early 90s. Mm. And he's the one who hired me. Wow. So I worked for six and a half years as part of the, you know, the executive team with Jim and several others. Uh, to run the Tom Peters company. So even though Tom's name was on the door, the vast majority of our work involved uh, the five practices of, of exemplary, uh, exemplary, not an easy word to say, mm-hmm. uh, leaders. So I, I spent those years really immersed in Kuzis and Posner's work. Oh, wow. And by immersed in it, I mean helping people to apply it, right, through workshops and coaching and consulting and all of that. So my point of view on leadership is really deeply informed by Jim and Barry's work and by my time at the Tom Peters company. So I had very in-depth working experience with clients, but also just some of the best mentors you could ever hope for. I was going to say, gosh, to be surrounded by Kuzis and Posner, I mean, what a gift, especially um, you're just kind of just getting bathed in leadership every day. I mean, what what a blessing that was. It was really an incredible experience, and in um, in 2000, the year 2000, November to be specific, uh, I left the Tom Peters company and went off on my own. And by the way, I left the company with the full support and blessings of everybody that I left behind. I mean, they were, I, I actually gave them six months notice. Really? <laughs> took a half year to transition out of there. And, and that's when I really started focusing on the question, what do I think about all this, right? Right. Uh, and, and through trying to answer that question, my own body of work emerged. That's just great. What a great story. You know, I find it interesting, too, that you kind of got into the, the, the financial aspect of the business. Was it just something because you felt like that's something you had to do? Or you said, yeah, this might sound cool? Or, I mean, you know, you, and then you find yourself in the middle of it and you're just you're hating your work. It's interesting. Uh, how did that happen? Well... Um, I wish I could say it was driven by some kind of a cosmic force. <laughs> uh, maybe it was actually. I had I had mouths to feed. Right. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to be a musician. That's where it all started. <laughs> but I also started a family really young. You know, so right. before I was 30 years old, I had three kids, and and uh, and and it, being a musician wasn't going to feed them, um, at least not immediately. Right. So I had a friend who was in the commodities business, and he said, "Come on in. I'll show you the ropes." and Within, within a few years, I ended up with my own shop. So that's where I discovered that I'm an entrepreneur by nature. Right. But I did it because I had to, I had to feed people. Yeah. And, you know, it was the right thing to do at the time. But what I came to discover for myself personally, I'm certainly not the only one who's quote-unquote discovered this, is that if you don't love your work, even if it's your own company, you're, you're destined to either fail as a business person or to be miserable while you're making money and neither of those scenarios appealed very much to me 
Yeah, so I've been in that position too where you've just, I just remember at times hating the job I was doing. Of course, when I was laid off from the, the airline industry I, and I was trying to find my way, and there are times I was laying there and I was like, God, I just can't, I don't want to get out of bed. I do not want to go to this cubicle hell and go go through the, the motions of, you know, but you had to do what you had to do. But it's just, I, I don't know, I find it interesting how people's, leadership journey kind of evolves and how kind of things eventually kind of line up if you just kind of keep sticking with it and then and getting true and authentic with yourself which it sounds like you've you've done and I know that's a big part of leadership so I talk a lot about authenticity and in fact I was talking with your friend Chris Brogan a couple hours ago and we were talking about this topic and and um he said you know that word kind of bothers him sometimes because he doesn't want people to think that you have to um throw up the word authenticity to say, okay, now you got to act authentic. And and I would say, no, I don't mean it that way. I mean, for me, when I approached leadership, I always came at it as kind of a, I had to be somebody that I wasn't, or I had to be this perception of what, what a leader is. How important is authenticity and vulnerability to you in your leadership style? It's crucial. There's no, there, there's no such thing as leadership without it. Yeah. And you know, and I understand what what uh, what Chris is saying. I think. I mean, I didn't hear the conversation yet. I'd love to listen to it. Yeah. But um, but it's an odd sort of a thing about authenticity because you know, there's the old joke. You know, it's a great thing to do if you can if you can learn how to fake it. You got to beat. You know. Right. Um, but uh, but there is it is possible, and I think even necessary, to practice authenticity. Yeah. And it sounds a little odd at first when you say it because it sounds it sounds like it's a self-canceling statement. But what you have to practice is is letting is letting your guard down, right? Mm-hmm. Letting letting the facade fall away. So it's not practicing quote unquote being authentic. It's practicing letting the inauthenticity get out of your own way. Yeah, that's a good way to put and, it. And we've been so conditioned, particularly leaders, you know, positional leaders who are higher up in organizations develop this this um, this sense even though it's never even necessarily spoken out loud that that they need to appear to be invincible, mm-hmm. and vulnerable somehow. Because if I if I appear to be anything less than perfect, people are going to doubt my competence, they're going to doubt my credibility. And instead, what happens is if somebody gets really good at at appearing to be invincible all the time, they're automatically suspect. Right. Because we all know there is no such thing as right. a person who is like that. So, so instead, it's about practicing, you know, the you know wa- walking into the fear, really. Yes. Of of being you know feeling like you're being exposed, and and I think you know another of my mentors, Terry Pierce. Uh, who's the author of a book called Leading Out Loud? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's really the first the first one that I had you know really deep exposure to that that explored authenticity and how it shows up in the way leaders communicate. Uh, you know he referred to the term as um, he called it relevant vulnerability. Ooh, right. Yeah. So so it's not about um, you know standing up in front of people and saying let me tell you all my deepest darkest secrets right. and, and I'm going to be totally you know quote transparent and that kind of a thing uh but it's it's being vulnerable in a way that 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 that's relevant and makes sense and will serve your constituents and yourself right yeah um 
So it's it's really it's an interesting kind of a nuance and kind of a dance that we do. But but the, but ultimately, authenticity is even even the fact that it's a, that it, the fact that it's even a topic of conversation is a little is a little ridiculous, you know. It is. Because it's just such a so, such a self-evident thing, as far as I'm concerned. It is, and I and you, how you put it was exactly kind of what uh, Chris and I were going back and forth about. Is exactly right, and because we've been conditioned for so long to think we have to be somebody that we're not, or at least act the role of the leader or act the role of the manager. What does that even mean? You just need to be yourself, and and I think. You know, as you said, we're conditioned to almost wear masks. It's, it's the intentionality for me has always been, you know, just take off the mask and stop worrying about failing. Stop worrying about uh, trying to appear what a leader should be, right? And um, a leader is about adding value to other people. And when I think when you realize that and you start becoming more externally focused or outward focused, I guess that's when, for me, the leadership kind of aha moment happened. Anyway, so I love how you how you clarified that that piece of it yeah i think you do need to be out outwardly focused in that your role is to serve yes right but at the same time there is an inward focus i mean there it's the it's the introspection uh that that's so critical that a lot of people they get so focused on the service side and the implementation side and the execution side that they forget to look inside and and ask you know, who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? Um, and then how can I bring that more into expression in a way that serves my constituents and what they need and what they believe in? It's, it's finding that, that, um, that place where, where they're, they're congruent with each other. Right? Yeah. Now, I, I refer to that the, the way that I've written about this, and it's become uh, kind of the ex- extreme leader's credo in my world. Yeah, I describe it as do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Mm, I like that. So doing what you love is, you know, that's the introspective part. That's the connection of your heart to your work in the service of people. That's the outward focus. And that is, you know, that's the, it's the moral context. It's the ethical context. It's the business context for it. Because if all I'm doing is what I love with no care or concern or regard for the implications of, you know, uh, of anybody else, uh, then I'm I'm a narcissist mm-hmm. essentially, right? right? So it's doing doing what you love in the service of people, but to serve them in a way that's so significant and so profound that the response that you get back is that they they love you as well, right? Yeah, it comes back to you. Yeah. So it's a you know it's 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 a full circle, but it requires both an inner focus and an outward focus. I like that. That's a great point. You know, and and it taking the time. As you put it, you have to be introspective enough and marinate and understand yourself fully. Um, um, you're right because if it gets too lopsided one way or the other, it's not as not as effective as it can be. I love how you you know classify this idea of extreme leadership, and I love your kind of thought that we should approach the act of leadership as you would approach an extreme sport, meaning learn to love the fear and exhilaration that naturally comes with the territory. I'm quoting from your website here. Right. I love that. Can you expand on the kind of the concept of extreme leadership? Sure. I think extreme sports is a good metaphor. And by the way, I just use it metaphorically because that ain't my thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great metaphor because, you know, why, why do these people, you know, do these, these crazy sports like, uh, 
you know, skeleton, for example, in the spirit of the upcoming Winter Olympics, right? right? Screaming down like a luge run on a on a board the size of a roasting pan <laughs> on your stomach at <laughs> first, right? right? So, well, you do it. They do it because because they they love the sport, they love the challenge, they love the community, they love. There's something about it that that they love, and the experience of it is thrilling and exhilarating, and it's also it's frightening, it's scary, and you know leadership is extreme. I mean, it, it, by its nature, it's already extreme. The problem is that we've diluted the meaning of the word leadership to such a degree that that for a lot of people, all it means is it, it's a description of a position or a title. Right. And real leadership is not about your position or your title. In fact, it doesn't matter what your position or title is. It's your ability to, to, to step up and influence people around you to change your piece of the world for the better. That's, that's really what leadership is, and that is extreme. Yes. It's an extreme act. So extreme leadership was my attempt to get beyond the, the discussion of leadership as an empty you know, title or phrase and really put on the table what what the um, what the bargain is, right? So if you're willing to do this, what that means is that you have to be willing to 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 experience that love that we've been talking about, but also work right through the fear slash exhilaration, depending on the nature of the situation. That that is just it's just part and parcel. And if you're not experiencing that fear with some frequency in the context of your leadership endeavors, then, but you're calling yourself a leader, you're just posing. You're not there yet. Yeah. So that's a dynamic that I refer to as the OSM, which is spelled capital O, capital S, exclamation point, capital M. That stands for the oh shit moment. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's that experience, right? So you got love on the one hand as the motivator and the OSM on the other hand as the experience. And what I suggest to people is that they – they they act from the heart, but they pursue that that OSM as a sign, as proof that something that they're really doing something. Oh, I love that. I love that you you hit on that moment of, especially on the side with with you know relating it to fear. So often, I think we sell ourselves short, thinking that we have to find ways to be fearless, and we spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of resources in trying to eliminate uncertainty and eliminate fear, and it's such a wasted exercise because. Not only will uncertainty never go away, um, th- what you just said right there about the OSM is um, you should pay – instead of, of trying to eliminate that, you should focus in on that because that means you're about to if – you, if you ride through it, if you, if you act despite of it, act through it with your, in, with your conviction, you're on to something great. Something significant is about to happen if you um, listen to that and act through that, right? That's right. And – it's it's the way that we make sure that we continue to grow because yeah. the way the way to you know to eliminate the OSM as an experience in a particular situation is by doing it a lot, mm-hmm. right? right? So that no longer creates an OSM. For example, um, I was speaking a while back to the American Orthopedic Society. Okay, so th- this was a group of three hundred surgeons. And before I went up to speak, I was on right after a break, and the guy who was running the conference uh, that year, one of the docs, he pulled me aside before I went up, and he said, all right, glad you're here, really excited about this. He said, listen, these guys, he said, you're about to speak to 300 of the biggest egos you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. And if they don't connect with you, like within the first couple of minutes, 
you're dead. And they're just going to they're going to get up and they're going to walk out. Uh, but you know, if you get them, it'll be great. They have fun. <laughs> it was like that was the that was the pep talk, right? Right. So fortunately, we had we had a, a, a similar uh, twisted sense of humor, the group and I. So we got along great, and they were you know they were digging it and, and they were tracking with me. And then we got to the discussion about the OSM, and then it, it suddenly dawns on me that I'm talking to people about the OSM who cut people open for a living, right? Which to me is like the most terrifying. I mean, I, I can't yeah. even imagine it. But to them, you know, they're whistling and talking about their golf game while they're doing these these surgeries. Right. But also to a, given the pep talk that I had just been given by one of their colleagues, I also understood that what I was doing at that moment, which was standing up in front of these guys and speaking, was probably the most terrifying thing for a lot of them. Right. Right. So how do you get beyond that? Well. I, I, the, the speaking very rarely creates any kind of an OSM for me because I've done it so long and I'm and I'm just very comfortable with it. And surgery doesn't create an OSM for them under most circumstances because they've done it so long. So how do you know? How do you keep growing? You got to find other ways or approach your work in new ways that that creates the OSM all over again or or, or you know from a different arena. That's how you know you're growing. And when that starts to dissolve in that same situation, you know. You've mastered it, or you've gotten close to mastering it, which is great. But then the question is, where's the next OSM going to come from? Because that's where the next phase of growth will come from. Mm, I like that. You know, it's, I guess it's the kind of the cliche of destination disease, right? We want to be intentional about not focusing on destinations. And the second we start saying, "Aha, I've made it," and I'm sitting there on the plateau, and I feel pretty happy. You can enjoy the plateau, but if you're kind of setting up base camp there. Um, the next thing's probably a fall. So uh, I, I love what you're saying there. You, you got to continue to push yourself and get outside of that comfort zone and get inside the growth zone, which isn't comfortable. So, yeah, always find another OSM. I like that. I like the I like the OSM uh, um, acronym there. To... And that's and that's also the kind of the internal barometer that we have as far as our own leadership development goes, right? So the OSM applies pretty much everywhere, but in in the context of the leadership discussion. Um, are you are you scaring yourself when you're when you're trying to change things at work, for example, right? Right. If you if you feel like you're being, you know, what are the things we like to call ourselves? Change agents and catalysts. And, right. You know, it's, it looks really good on our CV and our resume. <laughs> um, but if you're calling yourself change agent and there's no OSM, nothing is changing. Right. So you know, as a leader, uh, it becomes really critical to pursue those OSMs as long as you, you want to continue to earn the right to have others call you leader. Well, I love how you, you know, you talk about, you mentioned at the beginning of this interview that it's become kind of um, the idea of leadership or what it means. It is one of those words almost and it, it becomes diluted, right? And what does it even really mean? I love how you define leadership as being, as you pointed out here it's a it's a scary situation it is extreme but it's intensely personal right i mean i don't think many people at least i didn't anyway realize how much of it really did come from the heart and how much love was wrapped around it and how personal it really was talk to me about how personal leadership is for you i mean why why is it such a personal endeavor well again if we're if we are uh, making the distinction between um you know, holding an office or a position or a title and really leading, then then it has to be personal. 
because the the whole motivation for it is you know it's coming from your heart and it's coming from uh, oftentimes not saying always but oftentimes it's coming from a gap between what you feel is right and what you see as reality in the world around you and and you want to you want to bring the nature of the you know of of the current reality to a higher level, to a level that's more congruent with your values, or, or that's that's more um, uh, beneficial to the to the, the people in that environment, whatever it is. So that's a very personal thing, and it requires it requires that knowledge, that inner knowledge of what's important, right? And it also requires the willingness to to take risk and and you know stick your neck out and and possibly fail. What's more personal than that? Yeah, no kidding. So, you know, the minute you get beyond leadership as a title into leadership as, as, as an act, leadership as a, uh, as a dynamic, it, it instantaneously becomes personal. And the minute you take the personal out of leadership, it's just whatever it says on your business card. Yeah, perfect. Do you think we're all obligated to become better leaders? Do you think leadership is for everybody and that we're obligated to become leaders? Well, you know... I'm not entirely sure about that. I, I think I think the answer to that is no, actually. Um, I mean, I've known people that, that have very fulfilling lives, and they're very happy, and they're very content, and, and, and live very simple lives, and, you know, they're, they're not trying to change anything. They're not trying to, to influence people. They're just living their lives, and I, I wouldn't want to judge that at all. I think that's, I think that's great. And I would say that for anybody who's who's motivated a little bit differently, right? Who who really wants to um, wants their lives to be filled with positive influence on others, then yes, I think there's an obligation to lead. But it changes from context to context, right? So we don't all have to be, you know, the leader at work. You can be, you know, a, a great team a great team member, right? And and kind of move in and out of a leadership role as the situation uh, requires. But then you go home and maybe you're you are that leader in your place of worship and your philanthropic efforts and your community. I mean it, it change in your family, right? Uh, it it changes from person to person. I do think it's a very personal choice sure. though. And and I think the opportunity is there for all of us. And I would argue, and maybe I'm biased about this, I would argue that that it it's beneficial to all of us to strive to improve on our leadership skills, even if we never aspire to be, you know, the the grand poobah, the big mm-hmm. kahuna, right. you know, whatever. Because you can you can lead from again you can lead from any position and in any context, and just by virtue of of uh, of pursuing our own leadership development, we're going to benefit personally. You know, Jim, the aforementioned Jim Kuzis, you know, I, I've heard him say thousands of times, leadership development is personal development. Yeah. It's, it, they're, they're, they're hand in hand. Yeah. So sure, develop yourself as a leader. You can only benefit from it. Absolutely. Even if, you know, even if you're never going to, you know, uh, uh, run your company, for example. Yeah. I love that. April 11th through the 13th, you are starting your second Extreme Leadership Summit up in Chicago. Right. Um, I love the idea. I love the the lineup that you have there. Talk to us about the Extreme Leadership Summit. Uh, tell us all, let us learn more about it. 
Yeah, happy to. Um, so the Extreme Leadership Summit, like you said, April 11 through 13 in Chicago, is 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 a three day uh, intensive, you could call it, of uh, where where we're developing our extreme leadership capability. Right. So <clears throat> the people that come to this, first of all, and I'll tell you about the speakers, but the people that come. Uh, it's a really interesting kind of wide-ranging demographic. We have corporate folks that come. We have entrepreneurs. We have educators, you know, teachers and administrators from the, from the, the public education world. Uh, we've got um, uh, you know nonprofit folks. So it's a really cool diversity of, of of roles that come. But what unifies everybody is that everybody's passionate about about changing their piece of the world for the better, fundamentally. So what I do is I invite speakers who, who I know personally and who's, who have their own bodies of work, they've written books, they've had you know, real-world experience, and at the same time, their, their work and their point of view is very simpatico with my own. So this whole idea of, of you know, doing what you love in the service of people who love what you do, uh, and what I wrote about in The Radical Leap, which is, love, energy, audacity, and proof, right? That's the framework for extreme leadership. So all of these folks, their work is simpatico with that, is harmonious with that. So over the course of three days, we're not just listening to a bunch of speakers spout off. We're, we're listening to the speakers who are all phenomenal, but then we work in, we have a mastermind, small group mastermind process where we're helping each other to apply what we're learning from the speakers to the current to whatever your current work or uh, life situation is. So you walk out of there with a very specific action plan. So whatever a radical leap forward looks like for you in your a radical leap forward in your leadership abilities, in your in your relationships, both personal and professional, a radical leap forward in your ability to influence people, you know, what what would that look like for you? Because it's different for all of us. What we're learning are the tools to make whatever that is a reality. So we have, for example, Darren Hardy, who's the publisher of Success Magazine, the author of yeah. The Compound Effect, brilliant speaker, amazing guy. Uh, and you'll see there's, there's an incredible variety. So from Darren Hardy to Janet Atwood is the co-author of The Passion Test, yeah, to Frank DeAngelis, who's the principal of Columbine High Columbine, School. Columbine, yeah. If you can imagine, he's got some lessons for us. Yeah. To J.J. Uh, French, who's the founder of uh, the rock and roll band Twisted Sister. Oh, that's great. Who's <laughs> a phenomenal, amazing, and hilarious and insightful speaker. To uh, Andrew Bennett, you know, who's uh, not only an organizational development uh, expert, but Ross Perot's former assistant right. and a world-class magician, you know, all rolled into one. Yeah. So it's just this incredible kind of palette of experience. Pam Slim, the author of The Body of Work, just came out. Dr. Tasha Yurek, who wrote Bankable Leadership. At ExtremeLeadershipSummit.com, you can go and check out all the speakers. But but the, the idea of the thing is that over the course of those three days, we're helping each other to develop. So it's not it's not a you know sit down listen to a speaker you know, pick and choose from the menu and come and go, you know it's committing to a three day process that's going to yield some some incredible benefits for all of us. And by the way, most of the speakers, not all but most, uh, stay the whole three days. Well, so they great. actually participate with us. 
Well, it sounds even more, you know, sometimes these things, they're just like a, a turntable of talking heads and they just give a little snippet and you got to go in the back and buy their stuff. But this sounds no, like no, this, no, no, this no. sounds like the real deal, <laughs> yeah. like something we're going to get some some real workshops, some real benefits, some real masterminding out of this. So I love it. I love yeah, the concept. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, I, I have I have a um, – listen, I understand that world of the uh, – um, you know, I refer to it and as many others do as the pitch fest, right? Right. <clears throat> Where you pay very little money for the ticket to go to an event. And what you're subjected to is essentially a series of, of infomercials, infomercials yeah. that drive you to the back of the room with your credit card. And, and this is completely different. There's no selling from the stage here. Now the speakers will have their services and all that available to people that want them, but there's no, there's no pitching. There's no hard. There's just no selling from the stage. It's all content. It's all connection. It's all interaction, and it's all phenomenal. Oh, it looks great. What? How exciting, you know? And I've, I talked to. I think I told you before we were recording, and uh, I haven't posted it yet, but I will. I talked. Talked to Dr. Tasha Yurick yesterday. What a fun conversation that was. Yeah, she's awesome. I'm um, talking to Pete uh, uh, Luongo. How do you say his last name? Lu- Luongo. Luongo, Pete Luongo, yeah. yeah. We, he, we- <clears throat> so Pete, Pete Luongo is the author of 10 Truths About Leadership and the former CEO of the Barry Company, which is a billion and a half dollar company. Uh, and Pete is, um, you know, I've known him for, for years and he is, uh, he, he's 70 years old. He is, a just a dynamo he's a ball of energy he has incredible you know real world business experience and a great a great ability to communicate it in such an insightful and entertaining way um so what's what's really gratifying to me richard is that these folks that are coming um to speak are are really they're thrilled i mean they're excited they can't wait to come and hang out with the people that are attending and with each other because that's, you know, that's a large part of what we're doing together is hanging out and getting to know each other. By the way, another of our speakers who I'd, I'd highly recommend that you interview uh, is Phil Town. Phil, Phil Town? Is the, he's the New York bestselling, uh, New York Times bestselling author of uh, two books, Rule Number One, oh, Payback yeah. Time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's an investor and, and he's, he teaches people how to invest. But his, his philosophy of investing is really – uh, you know, I told you, I invite everybody that's people that are simpatico with my point of view on leadership. One of the principles that he's found in investing is that you should, the way he puts it is put your money where your heart is, that you should invest in, in businesses whose values are congruent with your own right. businesses that you love, uh, in addition to being, you know, greatly valued and, you know, or, or undervalued essentially. And he's going to teach us how to do that stuff. So it's uh, it, it's a it's a really interesting variety, but at the same time, it just all ties together. And like I said, we're gonna we're, we're gonna unify it all and apply it to whatever whatever it is that we're working on. And that sounds like so much fun. That what an exciting time that's gonna be. I hope people um, I'll be curious to see how the the turnout is. It sounds like a great event, and it sounds different than 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 most summits that I've seen or been associated with. So. Uh, kudos to you for getting this off the ground. Andrew Bennett is going to be on the show uh, next week, by the way. And, uh, yeah, you love you love talking to him. Now, Andrew and I also we've known each other for quite some time. He's brilliant. What is JJ going to talk about? That sounds that's I'd love to hear what he has to say. That's going to be fun. so. JJ French, just to, to give you a little, I know it sounds it sounds so incongruous, uh, which is part of the fun of it. JJ is for, well, first of all, for people that are unfamiliar with Twisted Sister. Um, 
we're not going to take it is their big, you know, anthemic, you know, hit. Uh, I want to rock. That's what they're mostly known for. These guys still play to audiences of 75,000 people. Right. Um, And they've been around for, what, 40 years now, I think. Yeah. J.J., is yes he's the guitarist one of the guitarists in the band but he's also the manager of the band the founder of the band the owner of the brand twisted sister he does all of their licensing deals he does the whole th- he's the business guy he's a business guy yeah he's a business guy so you know his lessons uh, about leadership um, and business in the rock and roll business are really they're applicable everywhere yeah I mean, they're, they're they're very universal but what's so <laughs> It's just so um, unbelievable and entertaining is the story of the band and how he, you know, how he he drove that thing over the years through failure after failure after failure into phenomenal success and then failure, <laughs> right? And then a resurrection and and success now greater than they've had before. I mean, it's. And he tells the story in in a way that's just so. It, it, of course, it's engaging, but it's it's insightful and it's hilarious. I mean, the guy's hilarious. He's become a very good friend, and uh, of mine. And I've learned a lot from him. And we and just hanging out with him is 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 a treat because the guy is an endless. I'm telling you, he is an endless fountain of unbelievable stories. Oh, I love it. And he tells them exceptionally well. I love it. Oh, I'd love to meet him. I'd love to talk to him sometime. That, that just sounds like so much fun. Well, April 11th in Chicago, That's man. That's right. That's right. That's the place to be. Gosh, uh, I'm so glad I've met you, Steve. I mean, this is so much fun. I love your philosophy on leadership. I love this uh, idea of the Extreme Leadership Summit. How can people get in touch with you? So a couple of different ways. Um, SteveFarber.com is my, uh, is my website. Uh, extremeleadershipsummit.com is a place to check out the summit. And, you know, in in um, kind of in celebration of the summit, for those that would like, I'm offering a free two-hour audio, uh, kind of a, a, an audio seminar on extreme leadership. Oh, great. So pe- people can get that, and there's only one there's only one place you can go to get this because it's, it's not really available for sale or anywhere. It's stevefarber.com slash audio. Okay, and it's a hidden it's a hidden page on the website. You're not going to find it in the navigation, so you have to, you know, write that URL down: stevefarber.com/audio. You can opt in from there to get the, uh, you know, the MP3 download of that, and then you can take me with you uh, in the car and to the gym, and and uh, if you can stand it, if you can stand listening to my voice uh, <laughs> all that time, you'll you'll learn you'll learn some great stuff. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to that if you don't mind. When I post this on my website, I'll have a link to that if you're okay with that. That'll take people directly there. Please do. All right. Gosh, Steve, it has been so much fun to uh, have met you and to talk to you. I look forward to uh, collaborating with you in the future, and and, uh, maybe I'll see you at the Extreme Leadership Summit, April 11th through the 13th. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Richard. It's been my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. 
He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.